0: Been uh, doing a teaching series on the words that Christians use very regularly but sometimes don't stop and reflect about what they truly mean. And so, with that in mind, I'm going to invite Helen Allen to come forward, who is going to speak this morning on the subject of worship. Can we give her a warm welcome? Good morning. Well, I feel really excited and humbled to be talking on the word worship this morning, particularly as part of this church family. And I've worshipped here for over 17 years now. um, But I've also been encouraged, supported and developed as a worship leader by many of the people in this room. Um, it's It's a role that I've been serving in for 13 years. And so worship is certainly on my heart. And it has been on my heart because of something that happened at a really early stage in my life when I was 12. So I want to start with an important statement this morning, and that is that I don't love worship, I love Jesus. We sang it this morning, there is no other name, my heart will sing, Jesus. See, it was Jesus that spoke into my life at the age of 12. He revealed this incredible, indescribable love for me, and it sparked something new inside of me that led to my faith in him. And ultimately, that excitement led to me wanting to worship him, to express how much I love him, to express how thankful I am for what he's done in my life. <clears throat> it started in the quiet times. It didn't start on a Sunday morning or when someone led us in some songs. It actually started me on my own when I had time with my father. Now, if I'm brutally honest... I think if we're not careful, sometimes we can get a little bit too hung up on the concept of worship, and we can kind of forget the purpose and the meaning of it. We think it's about the songs on a Sunday, the person leading, the style of music, too loud, too quiet, too much bass, too much banging on the drums, too many hymns, not enough hymns, oh, it's another new song, but we haven't had enough old songs, and on and on it goes. You know, it's really easy for us to have an opinion on all of this stuff, isn't it? if you guys are thinking about this kind of stuff, how much more do you think our worship leaders are aware of all this stuff? I want to encourage us to take a bit of a step back this morning, and I want us to start with the why. Why do we worship? Some people think that it is, worship is just an event that happens on a Sunday morning, or it's a style of music maybe. Don't get me wrong, I think worship is certainly big enough to include both of these ideas, but it's not exclusive to these alone. Worship certainly can't be defined by Sunday mornings or a style of music. I'm going to start with um, some verses from 1 Chronicles, and I'm referring to the message version for this scripture just because I love how it puts it, so the words are going to appear on the screen. (coughs) It says, "'Sing to God everyone and everything.'" Get out his salvation news every day. Publish his glory among the godless nations, his wonders to all races and religions. And why? Because God is great. Well worth praising. No god or goddess comes close in honour. All the popular gods, the stuff and nonsense. But God made the cosmos. Splendour and majesty flow out of him, strength and joy fill his place. God is serious business. Take him seriously. He's put the earth in place and it's not moving. So let heaven rejoice, let earth be jubilant, and pass the word among the nations: God reigns. Let ocean, all teeming with life, bellow. Let field and all creatures shake the rafters. Then the trees in the forest will add their applause to all who are pleased and present before God. He's on his way to set things right. We sang it this morning, all creation cries to ye. You see, we are created to worship. It gives us passion and it gives us purpose. Worship is all of life. Every aspect of it connected to God or disconnected from God. See, I believe worship is actually done by everyone who has ever lived and who will ever live. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you still worship. In fact, I don't think we ever stop worshipping. We chase someone, we pursue something, we we give all our time and our energy to something. And I believe that's actually how God made us. It's a really good thing. However, often the focus of our worship starts to change and it varies. And so the real question is, what am I worshipping and why am I doing it? Mike and I are coming up to our seven-year wedding anniversary, and very early on in our marriage, we had the really good advice from um, other married couples to put in a date night in the week, spend some quality time together, make sure you keep it regular, do it often. Uh, you know, it's, it's something we've learned to do, and we've stuck to it over the, uh, the years, but it's not always been enough for us. A few years ago, I found myself putting a lot of Um, expectation on our date night. That's our night in the week. The weeks are really, really busy. There's lots going on, but that's the night that I get to spend with Mike. It's got to be special. And this expectation, it started to lead to pressure, and before long, that date night ended up being some disagreement, or the TV would go on, and we'd just sort of sit and maybe be on our phones, and it it wasn't quality time together. So we learned to prioritize. We prioritized time together in the everyday mundane routines. Now, if I'm honest, it often does revolve around food and drink, but it works for us. A quick chat in the morning over a cup of tea, or a cu- cup of coffee when we get back, or quick to talk in the car on the way to somewhere. Okay, and I hear the, the voices of lots of you here who are like, yeah, but you don't have children. It's all right for you. Well, no, okay. So I realize if that happens, our routine will drastically have to change. But it did lead me to this thought process. For what we treasure the most, we will make sacrifices. And we have to. This really challenged me. Not just in my marriage, but in my walk with God. In my time with him, in my worship to him. It led me to this question. Is God part of your mundane, everyday life? Is there even room for him in that? Or are you just expecting him in that Sunday morning meeting, or at that festival, or that youth camp we go to? Maybe that big church that we sometimes visit, that church day out. I remember going through a season where, whenever somebody asked me how I was, my answer was pretty much always the same. Yeah, yeah, I'm really good, thanks, yeah. Busy, really busy, but I'm good, thanks, yeah. It's pretty much a standard answer that a lot of us use, in fact, I still use it myself. We all make lives really busy, and that is not a bad thing, don't hear me wrong, but taking a step back time and looking at what we are busy doing can be really healthy. We only have very limited resources, We've only got so much time, so much money, so much energy. And we can't use any one of these resources indefinitely. And so we make decisions. I won't go to this. I won't choose this or give to this. I'll go to that. I'll sacrifice this thing over here so I can spend my time doing this. I'll sacrifice this so I can worship this. You see, these are actually worship decisions. I'll sacrifice this thing over here so I can spend my time, my money, and my attention on this area of my life that I want to glorify. Our lives are actually constantly about not doing something so we can do things that we find appealing or interesting or glorious. Someone or something is always in glory in our lives, and we will sacrifice for the glory of that personal thing with our time, with our money. This is a definition of worship, and actually it works for Christians, non-Christians, it works for all of us. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is worship? True and proper worship? It is glory and it is sacrifice. See, I think we need to be a people who worship rightly in a way that glorifies God and gives us joy, but with that comes sacrifice. Mark Driscoll defines it in this way. Worship is living our life, individually and corporately, as continuous living sacrifices to the glory of a person or thing. Now, my husband Mike will tell you that I am a real foodie, and many of you who know me well will know that to be true. I love food. I consider myself incredibly blessed to be married to somebody who cooks for me every day, and he does cook me the most amazing food. In fact, part of my love for food is actually his fault, although please don't hear me wrong, love. I want you to carry on cooking for me because it would make me really sad if he didn't. So, I have found often, especially when we get to holidays and half-terms and things like that, often my day can center around food. I'll wake up and be like, oh, breakfast, hmm. And then while I'm having my breakfast, well, we might as well plan out what we're gonna do for lunch and dinner. And actually now, since we've been doing that, I'm a little bit peckish again, so it's pretty well at Is Let's have a biscuit with a cup of tea and we got some snacks in for later, because you know I'm gonna get hungry otherwise, and on and on it goes. Okay, so I'm not saying I worship food but I am saying I spend a pretty good amount of time considering food, buying food, enjoying food, thinking about food, and, well, is any of that even wrong? No, of course it's not. Until it happens at the sacrifice of something else. See, if I'm not careful, it could start to impact on all sorts of other things. My health, if I eat the wrong things, my money, my time, my thoughts, my expectations on Mike cooking me all these meals, how much has culture influenced that? I mean, the m and adverts are pretty mouth-watering, and actually, it's barbecue season, so come on, let's splash out. Don't hear me wrong. I'm really not saying we can't enjoy food, <laughs> or whatever it might be. I know that I do. It could be work, exercise, hobbies, our children. But are we investing in it so much that it causes us to sacrifice other things, that also deserve our attention? Has it taken that top spot in our lives, in our priorities, in our thoughts? John Wimber boldly puts it like this. Show me where you spend your time, money, and energy, and I'll tell you what you worship. So I'm pretty certain that if we start to see everything in our lives as worship, we'll probably start to approach things differently. Instead of saying, I need to drink less or eat less, or I need to date the right person, I need to earn more money, I need to look this way, how about we need to worship God more? What if our focus changes? Do you find yourself in the midst of chaos? In the midst of a difficult situation where you just can't see a way out? Worship the God of peace, and he will give you peace. Maybe you're faced with a really big decision and you need wisdom. Worship the God of wisdom and he will give you wisdom. Maybe you're faced with the impossible task of loving the unlovable. Worship the God who is love and his love will become yours. See, worship changes us because we experience God, worship changes our circumstances. It can change our values. It can literally change our lives if we make space for it, if we sacrifice. We are incredibly, incredibly blessed in this church to have so many gifted and anointed people who serve in the worship team and I really want to honor them this morning for the time and effort and commitment they, they give to our church family. We really appreciate you guys, each and every single one of you, but there is a reason, I believe, that each of them do it. And that is out of a love of Jesus. A desire to see him glorified. So what is our vision of what worship is? Why do we gather together to sing? How does that look when it goes into our morning, our Monday mornings and the rest of the week? What is it? Why do we do it? How do we do it? Jesus says in John 4, Twenty three to twenty four. Yet yeah, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Slide thirteen to so first twenty-three is crucial here for two reasons. This is part of Jesus' correction of the meaning of worship. See, in the verses leading up to this, Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman. She's lived a pretty dodgy, immoral lifestyle. She's also rejected by all the people that know her. Now, many of you will know that I occasionally have a tendency to be slightly sarcastic in my humor and approach to certain situations. Sometimes it's appreciated, sometimes it's not. The Samaritan woman is not dissimilar in her conversation with Jesus. She spends a bit of time here giving quite flippant responses and is clearly avoiding Jesus' teachings. She's trying to ask him to resolve a spiritual argument. And this was the question of where proper worship should occur. Was it Mount Gerizim or the Temple of Jerusalem? But Jesus does not take the bait. Instead, he clarifies that true worship is God is. Um, True worship of God is not tied to a location. Instead, it's tied to the intent of one's heart. See, what Jesus is doing here is making it explicit that a physical place is not what makes worship, worship. What makes worship, worship is what happens in spirit and in truth. It is so important to understand how Jesus places equal emphasis on the significance of both spirit and truth truth is it okay for us to say worship's not for me i'm i'm more of a word kind of person worship's more to do with feelings and emotions and that's all well and good for some people but that's not for me or to say i'm all for worship but the word preachy reading the bible bit well no you're okay I'll, i'll leave that for others thank you very much See, when we read these words from Jesus, he's challenging this concept head-on because he's talking about worship including both spirit and truth. I really love this quote from Andrew Wilson, and he says, good theology will always result in sacrificial, zealous, joyful mission. Good theology will also stop the church from becoming irrelevant on social issues. But the most important thing that good theology will do is cause us to worship glorifying God himself. Worship must have content. It must be based on the true revelation God has given of himself in his word. And we sang so much truth this morning. For that reason, you you can't really properly worship until you understand something of who God is and what he has done. See, in this verse, I believe that the in-spirit bit means that this true worship's carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is generally happening as something that's an inward spiritual event. But the in-truth bit, that's where worship is a response to what our views of God are through His Word. So for us to get our heads around Sunday worship, we have to actually understand it starts with the heart. It starts with us. Not on a building or a specific place, a specific time in the week, not with lip service on a Sunday not just going through the motions, but in our daily lives, all the time and in all of life. What ultimately matters is the attitude of your heart and the object of your praise. To give this some context, I went back to the scripture and I just want to look a little bit deeper at what the Bible says about the word worship itself. See, the most common Old Testament word for worship is proscuno. Sorry if I pronounced it wrong. That's how I'm going to say it for the rest of the talk. It is used 164 times, and it basically means bow down. Bow down with the sense of reverence and respect. This is also the main word for worship in the New Testament, and it appears in the Gospels about 26 times. People would often be bowing down worshipfully before Jesus. However, in Paul's letters, it occurs once. And it doesn't appear at all in any of the letters by Peter, James or John. I found this totally bizarre. Why are the letters that are written to help the early church missing this word and, in fact, missing much teaching or direction on the essentials of corporate worship altogether? I actually think it's intentional. You see, the word poskino doesn't explain clearly enough the importance of the inward spiritual, and relational nature of worship. It was a word much more associated with physically bowing down in the actual presence of a visible appearance. So, for example, in the Gospels, Gospels, Jesus was physically there for people to worshiply bow down before. So the word proskuno is used a lot. In the letters, we see something different happening because Jesus is not physically present. People couldn't fall down literally before him in person. And so in the New Testament, the early church isn't focusing on ceremony, places, on physical forms, but instead of what's happening in the heart. Not just on a Sunday, but in the everyday. Paul wrote in Colossians 3 verse 17, "...and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." This is the form of worship commanded in the New Testament. To act in a way that reflects the value of the glory of God. To do things in the name of Jesus with thanks to God. It's pretty basic and yet it is the essence of living worship. See, The more I looked at the New Testament, the more I found that wherever it referenced worship, it didn't actually refer to worship services, but instead it described life. Worship is much bigger than a Sunday morning? Are we putting it in a box? Putting our expectations on top of it from what we want from it? Or are we seeing it for what it is? It's much bigger. It's all of life, all the time, in the everyday things we do, in the name of Jesus, with thanks to God. That's worship. See, even when Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no specific reference here to a time, place, or service. Instead, the key word is always. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of Jesus. I'm not saying that we shouldn't also be doing this on a Sunday morning, but it's not Paul's intention to tell us that. His intention is to call for a radical, inward, authentic worship. So what do I mean by that? What is this radical, inward, authentic experience called worship? How does that fit in with our gathered congregational worship and in our everyday lives? Well, I go back to my earlier statement. I don't love worship. I love Jesus. It's that love for him that fuels my desire to worship him. So it it really is actually quite simple because it's our satisfaction in God, completely and utterly, no strings attached. I want to to suggest to you that the basic attitude of worship on a Sunday morning is not to come with your hands full to give to God but to come with your hands empty to receive from him. What we receive in worship is God. It's not entertainment. Do we come hungry to receive from him? Or do we come hungry to be consumers for entertainment? Do we sometimes want the authority without the intimacy? The power of God in our lives on our Sundays without the quiet hours spent with our Father. See, if we view our Sunday worship in this way, we're missing out on the fullness of what God intended for us. It's that expectation on the date night again. See, in the past, I've definitely fallen into the trap of shifting my focus onto my giving to God. And what I found was that very subtly, God stopped being at the center of things, and instead, the quality of my giving became more important Is my singing worthy enough? Is my guitar playing technical and good enough? Do we sometimes fall into this trap? Analyzing the quality of performance and defining the excellence of our worship time based on the ability of those leading at the front. So, the the only way we can actually get back to the essence of worship that is deep and powerful and meaningful is when we go back to the words of Jesus in spirit and in truth. It's a biblical conviction. It's not separate. It's that heartfelt satisfaction in him and the understanding that the pursuit of that satisfaction is it's why we're all here together this morning. We're all pursuing the same thing. Our worship and our prayers and the spoken words they're not formality. They're not tradition or duty. They are a means of us getting To God. If we're not careful, I think we can slip into being Old Testament worshippers instead of New Testament worshippers. Worshipping in one place as if that's the only place we find God. So I can hear you saying, Helen, you keep on going on about how worship's in the everyday and why are we bothering with our Sunday morning worship? Okay. Because the worship in our week should overflow. It should overflow into the worship on our Sundays. Both are exciting, both are valid, and both are essential for our health and our relationship with Jesus. It actually, in my opinion, takes a really humble person to come on a Sunday morning and really experience and participate in worship to the full. It takes a really humble person to do that. Because it's not about our to-do list. It's not about our expectations, our preferences for what we think it should be like. It's actually about allowing our brothers and sisters to speak into our lives. It's about us trusting that God is speaking through them to us. It's trusting their preparation in worship, their preparation for the word. Josh and I didn't speak a great deal, and yet so much of what he prepared in his quiet time this week, so many of those words we sang today were just amazing truths that I wanted to talk about. That's trusting God in our preparation. Are we being humble in the way that we come? Are we still an expectant people? How do we prepare in ourselves before we join in on a Sunday? And why is that hard to do? One of my biggest struggles and many of you will know this, to be true, is sleep, and my absolute love of it. I am not a morning person. On a morning when I'm leading worship, my biggest battle is waking up. I've talked a lot this morning about why we worship, our call to do it. Why do so many of us struggle to get into worship? I've heard people saying this, struggle to get into the worship time today. I've said these words myself in the past. It is a battle, and it is for very good reason. We are created to do it. There's a need for it to infiltrate our everyday lives, but if we're not feeling it, what do we do then? I spoke earlier about worship being a place that starts with the heart. If our hearts are feeling far from God when we come in, how are we supposed to just Worship. Surely we're just going through the motions if we're doing that. What else can we do? Well, it would be hard for me to talk about worship today without mentioning the Psalms. And this is where I look to for a bit of help on this particular issue. See, at the beginning of Psalm 40, David was not feeling it. Not feeling it at all. He felt like he was in a pit of destruction. He was stuck in the mud But then we read that God lifted him from that pit, set his feet upon a rock, and put a song of praise in his mouth. So what happened? What happened between feeling like he was in a pit, stuck in the mud, to singing praises to God? Psalm 40, verse 1 tells us, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. I'm just going to use something that hopefully uh, those of us that will live in this area will, will appreciate to help us try and look at this in another way. Because we are really blessed to live in a, an area of outstanding natural beauty. You know, you don't have to drive or walk for long before you see incredible views or you're encountering the amazing nature that is around us. So I want you to imagine that you've set out on a walk up Raglath Hill. Could be any hill, picking Raglath today. You've been told that the views at the top across Stretton is absolutely fantastic. It's amazing, and you emerge at the top. But when you get there, all you can see is fog. No awesome views, just thick, grey fog. See, this is what happens when we're not feeling it in worship. The beauty of God is right there in front of us, but blocking the view is fog. It's a fog of worry, of pride. It's a fog of preference, sometimes of unbelief. Just going through the motions in our worship is like reaching the top of that hill, staring at the fog and saying, Whoa. Wow. Ooh. Ah. Ah. They're words with no feeling. We need to be people that will wait on the Lord. So the wind of the Spirit will come, will move, and the fog will start to break. We start to encounter God when that happens. We worship. We sang it this morning. Spirit break out, break our walls down. See, this reminds us, again, that worship is a sacrifice, whether we like it or not, whether we're feeling it or whether we're not. But this sacrifice is so worthwhile because as we worship, we encounter the living God. These encounters are different for each of us. There is no unique formula. These encounters come when we empty ourselves of everything and we just come before God. These encounters happen when we put down our preconceived ideas about what worship should be or look like or how it should feel or what these encounters should feel like and instead we willingly surrender and we surrender to the point where we will do anything, we'll go anywhere, we'll say anything, whenever, wherever, and whatever it takes. This is worship worship in the everyday worship in our small groups worship together this morning it's encountering god in the ordinary and expecting god to speak to us and use us powerfully in the mundane see when we do this we allow god into the everyday including sunday we in, we include god into the decision making into those challenges that we face, into the choices we make, into the friendships we have, the difficult relationships we're going through. We start to live our lives intentionally with a focus on not settling for anything less than God's best for us. We start to walk in step with the Spirit. It becomes habit, it becomes routine, and it turns into deep relationship with Jesus. You can't live without it once you've got it. That is worship. Worship. Worship is breathtakingly wonderful. And it's because it's so much more than just singing. It's what we're singing. It's who we're singing to. We sang this morning, your, your Love Can Change the World. Your love can change the world. It's bold. We're singing it. In worship, worship changes lives. It's life-changing. We experience him. We are changed by him and it happens in the worship. We can have our values changed. The things that excite us can change. The things that dominate the decisions that we make, the friends we make, it all gets changed, and it can happen while we worship. So I wonder if I could ask the band to come back up, please. Because as I was preparing this week, and for several weeks, I've really felt God highlighting some areas to me and what I'd really love to do today is just finish with some some time of just prayer and space if one of these areas particularly speaks to you we're going to have just some space to hear from our father so Josh uh, is just going to start playing quietly and I'd like us all please to stand Let's close our eyes. For some of us today, I just felt that there are people who haven't felt that joy and that freedom and that acceptance that comes with knowing Jesus for the very first time. He is calling your name today. He wants to capture your heart today. He wants to start an intimate and a personal relationship with you. And here's a question. Are you prepared to make him number one? Secondly, I just felt that there were people here, you might have been a Christian for a short time or a long time, and I just felt that other things have started to take the precedent over Jesus in your life. Worship of other things has crept in, maybe without even realising What do you need to put down? What do you need to sacrifice in order to give yourself more time and more space for him? And finally, I felt God speaks to me about a sense of renewal in our worship. I think there are people who have developed a slightly distorted view of what worship actually is and they've lost that intimacy, that sacrifice, the daily joy of meeting with their father. And he just, he wants to bring real freedom for you today. So I'm just going to ask that Josh and the band continue to play. If you feel God is speaking to you, I wonder if you can just have your hands out in front of you. Let's be expectant. One of these areas is stirring your heart today. I'm just going to have some space. And I wonder if you can quietly, in your mind, just bring your own prayers to him, to receive from him. Let's pray. Let the fog lift. Wait patiently for him. Father God, we want to thank you so much for the amazing gift of worship that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, that we come to a loving, a compassionate Father that hears our prayers, that hears the requests of our heart. I really want to pray for this church, for this family this morning. I want to pray that you would help to make us a family that would really grow in our worship and our relationship with you would you help us Lord to be a people that worship you in spirit and in truth help us not to settle for fog in our worship help us to wait expectantly for you Lord God I want to pray for great joy great intimacy and great renewal in our worship time both in the everyday and in our gathered times together and we pray this your kingdom and for your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.